Uh, well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us here in person and also those who are jumping in online. Thank you for being here. It's good to see you, at least virtually. Feel free to like or comment along the way just to stay engaged. We have a host this morning connecting with you. We'd love to say hello and make sure that you're connected with us as well. Um, well, before I get too far down the road, for those who don't know, I need to just add this. First of all, Shira, thanks for being here. But for those who don't know, Shira was actually in my wedding when Jen and I got married, believe it or not. She was our flower girl. Isn't that exciting? Oh. And the story gets better, just, I, you know I have to finish this shower, right? Well, we introduced her to her husband early on because her husband was also the ring bearer in our wedding. <laughs> That's actually a true story. So uh, there you go. We didn't introduce them, but they, I mean, I guess we did in that space, but it's, it's been neat to see where Shira and Tucker have been. And so we're grateful for you, Shira, and the work that is going on at the factory, the partnership with that. I hope you're encouraged and can, can connect during this season. So it was a great, great deal. Well, uh, great segue, Shira, for where we're at here with this series, Faith, Open Love. We're ju jumping into part two of a series um, that is a personal, it's very personal to me because it's part of my personal healing journey in the last two years. So I'm excited to share with you this in the Christmas season because I think it is very helpful as we think about faith, hope, and love in Christmas. But I'll be honest, it's also a personal journey for me and a healing path that I've been on over some struggles in the past couple of years. So last week, we talked about faith and faith's enemy of betrayal. This week, I want to talk about hope. And just like last week, I set this up with a movie. I've got to go to one of the all-time great Christmas movies again to set this up this morning. And that is the amazing movie, right, called Elf with Will Ferrell, okay? Now, here's why I bring this up, because this is a story. This is, if you have never seen it, this is quite all right. But the story is a story, essentially, in many ways, about hope and hope that's realized and hope that isn't realized. It's this little baby that you know, crawls into Santa's sack at an orphanage and then finds himself in North Pole when Santa gets, quote unquote, home. And Santa looks down, sees a baby, names him Buddy. And then this little Buddy grows into six foot three elf in the North Pole, at which point, at some point along the way, little Buddy realizes I'm not actually an elf and I'm not actually good at making toys, but maybe I can be good at something else, to which he realizes he actually has a real dad in a place called New York City, whom he has never met. And this little exuberant elf, six foot three Will Ferrell character, buddy, decides to go on a journey back to find his dad. And he can't contain his enthusiasm. His excitement and hope is so out of place as a 30-some-year-old man walking down the streets of New York City dressed like an elf. And the, the, the welcome by his father, who's a corporate executive in New York City, is about what you would expect it to be if there were a full-grown man walking into your office dressed as an elf claiming to be your son. And so this is a story of hope that isn't realized for a long time. In fact, through the movie, and it's funny, sure, it's absolutely funny, but it culminates in Buddy essentially losing a major job for his dad and his dad losing his cool and saying, you need to get out of my life. Don't ever come back here again. And you can see and feel the impact on Buddy's heart <laughs> because when hope isn't realized, it hurts the heart. In fact, Solomon had something to say about that all the way back in Proverbs hundreds of years ago. Here's what he said. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And the first part of this verse might be your life verse for 2020 to be honest, right? I mean, hope deferred. Oh, one more thing that we have to punt on. Oh, one more thing that I don't get to do. One more thing that I was hoping I could do, but I can't do. I have to wait. It makes the heart sick, 
right? It just does. Even this week with the new restrictions coming out for the governor, my heart sank, maybe as did yours, when I got that news. This is what happens when hope is deferred. It just has this impact on us. But a longing fulfilled, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Absolutely is. And this introduces us to this reality, both in movie world and in real human world, that life is full of tragedy and triumph. It is full of tragedy and triumph. In fact, you can't have triumph without tragedy. You can't have a good ending to the movie without the tragedy of the middle part of the story where Buddy's dad sends him away because he doesn't want him. The reunification doesn't hit unless there is struggle and pain along the way. And so both of these storylines go through all of life as they go through all movies as well that there's tragedy and there's triumph. And as I talked about last week, faith, faith is a story. If faith is a story of triumph, then we said last week, betrayal is the story of tragedy. If faith is a story of triumph where there is hope, there is belief that God is good and he exists, that's the story of triumph. Betrayal is a story of tragedy. Betrayal says, don't bother having faith again because you will be betrayed. Well, today I want to talk about hope. Because hope is the story of triumph, but it has an enemy as well. It has a tragedy storyline that wants to cut against hope at every turn. Faith, hope, and love are related this way. When you lose faith, you quickly then lose hope, and then you are invited to lose love. When you lose faith that God exists and he is good, then it doesn't take long until you lose hope, even hope for a future, and then it doesn't take long where I lose love for my neighbor because it doesn't matter anymore and I disengage from you. So they are related all along the way. If faith is a story of triumph, betrayal is a story of tragedy, then in hope, if hope is the story of triumph, then its enemy, its nemesis, powerlessness, is the story of tragedy powerlessness. Here's how this works. This Tuesday, I walked into the middle school gym at Peckway Valley. I'm the ninth grade basketball coach for Peckway Valley. And I walked in there and I was met with an exuberant group of about 30, 35 boys who were still trying out for the team, second day of tryouts. But I also saw in the hallway a gathering of the administrative team at Peckway Valley. And they invited me to come talk to them. I felt like I was getting called to the principal's office. And as I walked up to them and they told me the story, they said, listen, we knew this was a possibility, but we didn't expect to have to give you this news on the second day that there was a presumptive case positive of COVID yesterday on your team. We're going to have to suspend your team for two weeks. All these boys are going home. They're going to learn virtually. The season is off for at least two weeks. In that moment, when we called the boys together, said, put your balls in the rack, put it away, everyone come together, you could see the hope drained from the room, and you could see, and I felt the powerlessness to be able to change the future. I stood there just as a, if you will, a, a victim, someone who was receiving bad news, but I couldn't change this. And what hung in the balance is, what is the story going to be in this room and on this team? Because you now have a choice. Hope is the story of triumph, but, but powerlessness is the story of tragedy. And Many are invited in that moment to say, oh, and you could see it in their hearts. Their heart was sick. You could see people just kind of throwing down their, their ball or just kind of the, the physical reaction because in that moment, powerlessness is overcoming and it makes the heart sick. And as you get older and older, which we all tend to do, as the story builds upon the story, upon the story, upon the story, this is why people... And you know people like this. This is why people, we can get old and cranky. Why? Because the story is told over and over and over again of hope and powerlessness, hope 
and powerlessness, hope and powerlessness. And we can buy into that tragedy is going to be the primary story of our lives. However, it doesn't have to be that way. Because what hangs in the balance for me on powerlessness and hope, I want you to understand why this is so important to me. Number one, for hope, if we give up on hope in that space, if I give up on hope and just come all the way over to powerlessness, what happens in that space is I'm giving in to suburbia. I'm giving in to average. I'm giving in to a non-adventurous life. I'm just going to say, you know what, I'm not going to bother to hope because we're going to have another tragedy. There's going to be something else that's going to happen. I'm going to back down. Additionally, and I love the way Dan Allender writes it in The Healing Bath. This is so important to me. And again, Allender has been very helpful to me. He writes it this way about hope. If we give up on hope, that hope is crucial for the capacity to anticipate and shape the future for good. Our imagination grows in the soil of hope. And I love the way he put that. That if you and I give up on hope, we're essentially giving up on a capacity to imagine a future that could be any different than the present currently is. And so what hung in the balance, even in the gym on Tuesday, is this invitation for my boys on the team. They didn't know it, they didn't put it in these words, but to give up, to give up a story that could be true of a better and preferred future. And in that moment, buy into, oh, we're powerless to change this reality. We're in this COVID world. This could happen again. I'm just going to pack it in, mail it in. Who cares anymore? I'm not even going to. That's gonna... what hung, hung in the in the balance. And you know this is true, and I know this is true. When you have had the greatest vision for your life, when you've been most motivated, whether it's to go on a diet, to change a habit that you have, to decide to change your financial future or your job, or to, to introduce a new spiritual discipline in your life, when you've been the most motivated for future change, you have also been the most hopeful. And when you have been the most discouraged and lacked the most energy, you have also been the most hopeless, feeling powerless to change what is going to happen to you. Which is why, which is why it's so important to be able to have hope. Now here's, let me add something else to this. Because of the struggles of this year for me in the past two years, and this isn't just about me, but I want to share my heart with you and invite you into the journey that I'm on. As you get older and as I get older, I'm realizing that where I anchor hope is critical for me to be able to hope again. Here's what I mean by this. Last Sunday, I shared with you that one of the things that has grieved my heart this year is the growing reality that there will be people who will never come back to Grace Point after the pandemic. And that has grieved my heart as it, as it has our staff. It has been one of the saddest things to deal with this year. And one of the things that has invited me constantly to give up on hope and to just give in to powerlessness. As people have tried to encourage me through this, one of the things that people have said, and stay with me through this whole thing, if you will, for a minute, because I don't want it to come off wrong. What some have tried to do to encourage me is to say, listen, Tim, instead of just thinking about the people who are walking away or how they're doing that or what they're saying, I want you to remember all the people who are here. I want you to remember the people who are encouraging, the people who say good things and, you know, stay connected with you. To which I say, that's absolutely true. I have been touched by people even this week doing acts of kindness for me. At the same time, because I'm old enough, and I've been here long enough, about 18 years now, I also know that some of the people who are leaving were also people who, a few years ago, also encouraged me. And so I am anticipating, and I'm defending my heart to say, 
Where am I going to anchor my hope? Is it going to be in the encouragement of those who remain? Is it going to be in the presence of those who sit here? Is that where my hope will be anchored to? Because if it is, it isn't very encouraging. And that isn't meant to be a slam on anyone in the room. <laughs> okay? It just is meant to be this reality that things change over time. And so my heart knows hoping where you anchor your hope is critical to be able to have hope. Which is why, I love the way Tim Keller puts it and why I've, this is a space of learning for me here, that hope, hope that endures, is not tied to progress but to justice. Hope that endures and hope where I've anchored has gone further to progress, meaning not just that, oh, there's more people or these people are here or they're encouraging. That is encouraging and please don't stop encouraging. It does mean something, uh, absolutely. But hope that endures isn't just tied to progress, but to justice. Hope that endures goes beyond just, well, maybe things will get better. It goes deeper to God sees ultimately everything. The truth is, we may never recover as a church. What if Grace Point blows up and goes away? I mean, that's a possibility, I guess. I don't expect that to happen. But if you play that out, listen. Hope that endures isn't tied to progress, as if somehow, maybe if I get lighter, lose some weight in the next few weeks, then things will be better. Or maybe if I look better, things will be better. Or maybe if I make more money, as if progress is where hope is anchored to. Not for the Christian. For the Christian, hope is anchored to justice. God sees. And one day, all that is wrong will be made right. And hope is an incredibly difficult thing to grasp and hold on to. It's so fragile and frail. And the reason for that is it's a daily struggle. It's a daily struggle. And this is a daily struggle with all this introduction that I want to take you to in, in, in a story, a Christmas story in just one second. The, the, the daily struggle of hope is this. The daily struggle of hope is this, that hope is this daily battle that includes this idea of risking, struggling, and surrendering. And I want to invite you to see this in a Bible story, in a Christmas story that you know, most likely, that you know and you've heard, but I want you to see it in a new way. That hope, the reason hope is hard is it requires constant risk, constant struggle, and constant surrender. And so, with all of that as introduction, if you are still with me, I want you to go, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 2 to hear a story that many of you have heard before and know about and can probably recite to anyone who walks around you, even if you've never been in church or don't come to church regularly. Matthew chapter 2, it's the first book in the New Testament. In the right two-thirds of your Bible, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible in the pew is our gift to you, by the way. But Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, this is the story of the three wise men, except in the Bible, we don't know that there were three of them, but the the song says there were three, and so we just go with it that there were three, okay? But it's actually not in the Bible. This is a story of the wise men who made their way to, to see baby Jesus with the star, and the, you guys know the story. Let's jump into it, because this is the perfect story to help us see hope's risk, hope's struggle, and hope's surrender, all right? Beginning in verse 2. Here's where we introduce the risk. I said verse two, beginning in verse one, excuse me. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east, or wise men from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Here's our introduction, all right? Quickly, here's our introduction. That hope risks, here's what I mean. Can you imagine these wise men back, back at home, and one of them saying, hey guys, listen, I had a dream last night, there was a star, we need to travel for days on end, I want to go somewhere to 
to find a, a king, a baby who was born as a king. Now think about that if that were you. If one of your buddies is like, hey, listen, Monday morning, I need you to take a couple day journey with me because I saw a star. Right? I mean, this is what's going on here. I mean, it sounds like we're used to the story, but this is insane, right? I mean, who, who would actually, you know, do that? But hope risks. You can't, and here's this, the struggle, you can't have comfort and hope at the same time. Okay, I'm going to say that again because I think it's important. You can't have comfort and hope at the same time. You can't, as a wise man, stay where you are and hope that what you might see in this star might be the Messiah. You must choose to risk, which is why some of us like the idea of hope, but we don't want to do the first step of hope, and that is to risk hope. And you know this if you're a businessman. You risk money to make more money, right? You've got to do that. You know this is true in relationships. You've got to risk hard conversations if you want intimacy. If you don't want intimacy, then you don't have to risk hard conversations. But you can have both risk and comfort, excuse me, hope and comfort at the same time. It just doesn't work that way. So the Magi all of a sudden are faced with this reality of what do we do? I guess we should go. And so they walk and they go. And so the first battle with hope is am I going to risk Am I going to risk giving up what I know is comfortable to hope for a future that might be better? Because hope's promise is this. Somewhere in the distant future, there might be something better. We're going to give you a small reward for it, maybe now, or maybe even no reward at all, which is why for many of us, diets might be difficult. It's like, I'm going to stop eating candy now, dessert now. I got to give up over the Christmas season for a future potential that maybe I'll lose weight. Like that doesn't quite, it doesn't quite work. But hope requires risk to begin, which is why many of us, we like the idea of hope because it sounds good on a Christmas card, but truthfully, hope requires us to fight, first of all, to risk. But secondly, there's a struggle. Let's go into the, continue with the story. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, most certainly. And all Jerusalem with him, when he had called together all of his, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And so he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, with a little wink in his eye and a little bit of uh, deceit in his heart, go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and kill him. Excuse me. Go and worship him. We know later, of course, what Herod wanted to do. We know that he wanted to kill this child because he didn't want a threat to the throne. And this is introducing this concept of struggle. That there's going to be a struggle that the wise men are going to face, number one, even in journeying to find Jesus, but secondarily in getting out of there without being found out. The struggle of hope realized is real. The struggle for us in hope, the daily struggle with us in hope, is this struggle for despair. We struggle with the challenge of, like, can I really, can I really lean into hope the way that I want? Because not only is it risky, but I struggle with the resources to do it. And sometimes the struggle is looking you right in the mirror and looking me right in the mirror when I get up. In other words, I know this about me. I'm not nearly as good as I want people to think I am. 
and you might be in the same boat. I'm not nearly as consistent as I want. There's a part of my heart that longs to love with abandon, but is afraid to do it because I've been hurt too much. There's a part of me that longs to worship with freedom and enthusiasm, but is afraid to do it lest I give away too much. There's a part of me that longs to love and lead my family with a kind of sacrificial service that exhausts me but benefits them. But I run into constantly my selfishness where I just want to go to bed. I don't want to have the conversation. There's a daily struggle with realizing hope. Not only is it risky, but I'm struggling constantly. I'm held captive by my own body, by my own ideologies, by my own background. And I struggle daily when I run into hope inviting me on this journey of triumph. I constantly run into the struggle that it is. The wise men continue their little journey, and they go, finally in verse 9, to this idea of surrender. So after they had heard the king, these wise men went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the picture of hope and surrender. This is the picture of the wise men on their journey, first of all, risking being willing to go, secondarily struggling with how are we going to do this and find this Jesus, and then what are we going to do when we leave, to actually getting there and surrendering in worship. And here's what I mean by hope surrenders. What I realized is that hope's realization, what, what I really want and what you really want in life isn't a successful marriage. You don't want financial independence. You don't even want peace for yourself. You don't want just to find yourself, and you don't even want more self-confidence. You don't want a future that's guaranteed. What you really want, and what I really want, is God. I want underneath the expressions of all of that. The reason that I want more money is because I want more security, but what I really want is the security of God. The reason I want more self-confidence is because I don't want to be afraid, but what I really want is God. The reason that I get hurt when people leave is because I, I want peace, but what I really want is I really want God. And so hope asks you to surrender all of the ways in which we chase God that aren't Him. It invites us to put on the table our desire for money, our desire for reputation, our desire for influence in relationships, and put it there and say, surrender to all of these other things that you think you want, and like the wise men, bow down at the feet of Jesus and say, this is the one you want. You want God. But it takes a risk to get there. And there's a struggle you will constantly face on the journey. But the surrender of hope is ultimate before God. And so this is a story by way of review. Hope is a story of triumph, but powerlessness is a story of tragedy. Both exist in the world in which I live and both exist in the world in which you live. And so I have this question for you and this question for me. <laughs> Let me put it this way. What would you hope for or who would you hope in if powerlessness weren't lurking in the corner? If you could actually live with a kind of courage that was a committed to triumph and not tragedy. What would you actually hope for or who would you hope in again? 
if powerlessness weren't lurking in the corner in your life? What have you given up on in your marriage? What have you given up on in your future? What have you given up on in your identity? What have you given up on in your faith that you have said, you know what, it's safer, it's more suburban, there's no adventure, but that's okay, I'm not as hurt. I'm never going to worship maybe the way I wanted to, but that's okay because now I know I can do it in a safe way. I'm never going to be the man of God that someone else is because I don't pray like that. I don't know the scriptures like that. I'm never going to be the kind of wife that, that does that, or I've given up my future that I could be someone who could influence and change the world for my generation. I've given up some of that because it's too much. I fail too often. I look at the struggle of my own self in the mirror and realize I am inadequate, and I give up because there's risk and there's struggle, and I don't know if that's part of the journey of hope, but I'm telling you that is part of the journey of hope, to risk, to struggle, and then ultimately to surrender. What would you hope for again, or who would you hope in again, if powerlessness weren't lurking in the corner of your life? And I know it is a big ask. The older you get, the more betrayal and powerlessness you've experienced, and the easier it is to pack it in. I know that is true. You know that is true. And so what I'm asking you is a big ask. I'm asking you to hope again at Christmas time. I'm asking you to see that what you really want is surrender to God, not just the things that you and I want to reach for that are right in front of us. See, what hung in the balance Tuesday, the gym at Peckway Valley Middle School, was a future of triumph or tragedy. These boys immediately disappointed Immediately disappointed. Me too. Me too. You can see it in their bodies. Powerlessness. It's a story that's being written. They're going to remember this. You've got a story like this as well. By the end of the day, however, just within a half hour, these guys decided, you know what? We can't get together at the school. We're going to get together outside for the next two weeks. We're going to practice we're going to condition. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to do this in a way that it's safe and good that we can do because we think there is a future worth hoping for. It's exactly what they did yesterday and what they will continue to do during this break because both storylines are there. And so the question becomes for you and the question becomes for me, which story is yours? Hope or powerlessness? Which story will be yours? Hope or powerlessness? And here's what we know as a Christian, that hope anchors to justice, not just to progress, and it fights the daily battle of risk, struggle, and surrender. Hope anchors to justice, not just to progress. It anchors deeper in the character and the heart of God who sees, and will fight the daily battle of risking, struggling, and surrendering. And so if you think that it is too hard to hope again, it's too ridiculous a thought to hope again. You are in good company because I'm asking you to take a big risk. You can't have both hope and comfort at the same time. And if you think hope is going to require too much of a struggle, you're right. It's a big struggle. And if you think hope is going to require you to surrender everything else to find God, you're right but I would argue that is what you really want anyway. Faith, hope, and love. Which story will be yours this Christmas season? Next week. I can't wait to look at love with you. Will you pray with me?
Our good God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for the chance to be together in this room, to be encouraged with each other's presence, to be encouraged in your word, to be encouraged with this idea of hope. Father, I pray that you would drive this further than just a seasonal hope that passes by on a Hallmark card that just encourages us with a little smile here or there. I'm all for that. But God, I pray that you drive it further into our soul. That at the very root of who we are, we would be people deeply committed to hope, deeply committed to risking, to struggling, and to surrendering. Because this is a story of triumph. This is a story of redemption. This is a story that is written at Christmas time when you sent your son into this planet, our space. So I pray that you would give us the courage to dust off those old dreams we had, to think again, to maybe just eke out a little bit of hope for and hope in, to consider risk again, to consider struggle and surrender. That we can be people whose story is a story of triumph, not a story of tragedy. This is a story of the gospel, and I pray that it would be ours in full measure. Give us courage to do what we need to do. We pray this in Jesus' name.